Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. From that page, you can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, um, we recommend even repeatedly, They can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefits from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they actively engage the use of these tools. And secondarily because... 
it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate if you give us a call and do just that. The call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I will then see it, turn on the microphone, and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. Alternatively, if you are not listening live, or if you want to uh, send us an email, you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. And if we get those emails, we will address them on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we address your comment or question, your answer or testimonial, and um, you can then listen back to the archives and hear the feedback. We greatly appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service, and if you would let us know what what can help you, what is helping you, what what's resonating well for you, we can then live into that intention far more easily and efficiently. So, we have plenty of time for a comment or question. 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1 on your phone and let us know how we can be of service. Along with the work that we do in supporting people in doing the reality management worksheets and we support people in doing them live on the Internet show if they have um, uh, an issue they would like us to support them with. Uh, sometimes people call in and we just frame out the worksheet and they do the work on their own and then at their own discretion. Sometimes they call back and let us know how all of that went. Um, we've also been doing uh, processing through reading and commenting on um, different books and the one that we've most recently been reading through is titled A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg and that book has a whole series of short essays and what I've been doing most recently is finding essays that resonate with me or that follow a theme or I just open the book and keep reading from the last essay I read and it's pretty uncanny how the themes either coincide with what's going on in my life right now or the biggest theme I've had with patients in my private practice and the essay that's up next is titled it's essay number 78, titled Spiritual Growth as a Change in the Being. And the essay reads, Spiritual growth is not something that happens in the mind. 
spiritual growth is not a correction of ideas or even just a change in action. Spiritual growth is a change in one's very being, a change in, quote, what one is, close quotes. This kind of change is not easily undertaken. In order to grow, one typically must be willing to undergo undergo significant personal altercation. Alteration, excuse the misspeaking. Spiritual growth is often a destructive or painful process, and when the moment comes, many are unwilling to actually experience and undergo the intense personal alteration that is necessary. It is far easier to tell oneself a story of what one is than to actually change. This reminds me of the story that Guy Finley tells where he talks about how the resistance to change is always the greatest right before growth. And he uses a number of examples. The one that pumps to mind right now is the idea of a seed, a seed Take any seed you like, a sunflower seed. Take a watermelon seed. Take an acorn. The seed is a beautiful thing all by itself. It has a defined shape, size, identifying characteristics. It's whole and complete, just as it is. A kernel of corn, this is a seed. And in order for it to do anything but be the same thing over and over, day in and day out, it must go through a transformation. And what is recognizable as the seed is obliterated in order for it to sprout into something new. If you went to a 300-year-old oak tree and you tried to find the original acorn that gave rise to it, you'll never find it anywhere. It was long ago destroyed, turned into its component parts and became fuel and food for the sapling that, or the sprout that became the sapling that grew into the tree. And what Guy Finley talks about in that discussion is that the tension and the pressure inside that seed is greatest right before it splits open and the sprout comes out. Well, that's what they're alluding to here in true spiritual growth. If I'm going to grow, I must become something other than I have always been, especially at the emotional psychological level. And yet many of us who say we want to grow, who say we, we recognize that we're here to actually grow and change, but so much of the pain each of us experiences in our daily life remains with us because we're unwilling to fully accept responsibility for our own state of being. And we are unwilling to grow into the humility and selfless intent that our pain would call us to. 
by the laws of the greater divine reality, our own past intentions have brought us into exactly our experience of this present moment. And yet, so many of us resist that present moment and therefore resist the lessons it has to offer. I love one of the lines from Guy Finley. He says, the lessons that we need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of events we don't want. Let me say that again. The lessons we need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of events we don't want. Further on, he says, the degree of the importance of the lesson in our lives is directly proportional to how much we don't want the lesson. So the bigger, more painful lessons, the bigger, more painful events in our life contain the biggest life lessons for us, the most important life lessons for us. And when we push away the event, the life event, the unfolding, when we we say, no, this is bad or wrong, or we go into resistance, we lose the lesson. You cannot learn the lesson at the same time that you are hating or pushing away or judging the unfolding of life as being wrong. This last paragraph says, in part, by the laws of the greater divine reality, just the way our world works means that our own past intentions, your higher self, your soul, your light, your consciousness, has held on to intentions that have brought you directly, exactly the experience of this present moment, whatever it is. And yet many of us resist that present moment and push away the lessons it has to offer. The essay goes on and says, Spirituality is about your relationship to the present moment. It is about your actual experience and what you do with it. If you meet that experience with willingness, openness, personal responsibility, fearlessness, humility, and selflessness, then you will allow the present moment to start actually shaping you the way it was intended to. Willingness, openness, personal responsibility, fearlessness, humility, and selfishness all require a quality of intent. You must use your precious free will to choose the way your soul calls you. Often that choice means walking into the pain, discomfort, insecurity, or danger. Often, that choice means taking personal ownership for yourself, for your world, and for the well-being of those around you. Often, that choice means allowing yourself to completely let go of all that you are not and let go of all of your stories and definitions and beliefs and dogmas so that you may actually change and become even more. 
no matter how dark or difficult that change may seem to the mind. Ultimately, you have absolutely nothing to fear. The capital L light is always with you and always within you. And when you are willing to actually accept responsibility and grow, the universe itself actively responds to your willingness. Guy Finley has a number of statements that are woven through various stories of his. One of them is, no true spiritual step is ever taken without terror in the heart of the being taking that step. You cannot know where your spiritual path will take you. No true spiritual step is ever taken without terror in the heart of the one taking that step. There's a story about in his CD series, Seven Steps to Oneness, a story about a young man who just knew in his heart of hearts that something was wrong in the world he lived in. And his people were constantly scrabbling over each other, trying to get something, accumulating this or that object or money and backstabbing people and and always with the thought that once they get enough, then they can be kind, then they can be loving. But right now they need to, you know, dog eat dog and fight and scramble. And, and he just had this belief that there had to be, he had felt it in his heart, that there was a place where you didn't have to do that, that there was a world where things were different, where people were different. And he began to hear stories. The more he held that in his heart, that there was a place, that there was a bridge to a place where people were just loving from the get-go. They weren't lying and cheating and stealing and backstabbing and accumulating things with the hope that one day they would feel safe enough to be loving. So he went on the journey to find this place. He heard about the bridge and he just... He left his hometown and he just started traveling and he started asking people and occasionally there would be a dead end and occasionally he'd get a nice uh, lead and he would follow it and eventually he came to a place where it seemed like this has got to be it. There was an encampment of like 10,000 people right at the edge of a huge cliff and it was like a carnival atmosphere. There were people that were selling you know, icons of the bridge, necklaces of the bridge. There were people that were announcing, come to our class tonight and we can tell you all about the bridge. And he went to some of these people and he said, is that the bridge? And they said, yes, absolutely, that is the bridge. And he said, okay, and have you been across it? And they said, no. And he said, well, how can you know it's the bridge? And Guy Finley drags the story on. But eventually the young man says, listen, if you haven't been there, you don't know. So he goes to the edge of the cliff, and there is this, it looks like a stepping stone floating in midair four or five feet from the edge of the cliff. A nice, big, long step. And it seems like it's floating in midair, but you can't quite tell because there is a fog bank covering it, but it looked like there might be some wires holding it up and going off into the fog bank. 
And after exhausting all of his questioning of the people there about how do you know it's the real thing and has anybody ever been there, finally somebody said, well, we haven't stepped on it because we're not sure it'll hold. But we have experts who've studied the bridge and, and, and we have books on it. And, and the young man, fed up, finally turned around and stepped onto that stone, stepped away from the cliff and onto the stone. And Guy Finley says, and I'm, I'm telling you nothing about the terror in his heart when he stepped on that stone. And he said, you cannot take a step in life without life showing you whether or not the truth is holding, whether or not you're in line with the truth. And no one can take that step for you. This is why so many of us cling to our ideas of who we are. This is why people might be afraid, for instance, to do a whole series of worksheets, reality management worksheets. Michael used to invite people to do five worksheets a day for 40 days, and you end up doing those 200 worksheets, and it will change your life. But if you don't do the worksheets, it won't change your life. There are people I've known, wonderful, lovely people, and they are very rigid in their thinking about their dogma, their belief, either their atheistic beliefs or their religious beliefs. And if you ask them to question those beliefs, to just soften and pretend and, and do even a thought experiment, sometimes they get vehemently angry. Their resistance can be shocking. And this is pressure that Guy Finley's talking about that is the greatest in the moment before the seed cracks open and the sprout emerges. We are all like those seeds. The next essay, number 79, is titled The Counter-Pressure of Circumstance. This essay reads, Physical life is a constraint set that offers the spirit the valuable counter-pressure necessary to participate in personal and collective expansion. To the unlimited, powerful spirit the opportunity to actually subject oneself to participation within a firm and rigorous context, this is an extremely precious opportunity. Now, he's talked about this a variety of different ways, but the experience that he has in the non-physical, the thing he's been told by other people that are entities, not people, but other entities without bodies, is that in that space, in that existence without the physical there is this unlimited and unlimitedly powerful spirit that knows it's connected to everything that knows the oneness of all and within that context the spirit cannot expand and grow through the rigorous context of the belief in separation 
the rigorous context of the belief in separation is what we use to generate most of our fear and most of our pain and suffering. So to your spirit, to your higher self, to your soul, to your consciousness, it is what they're calling here an unbelievably wonderful opportunity to experience the stress, the frustration, the limitation, the challenge. The essay goes on and says, the circumstances of your life are the valuable counterpressure that your soul uses to become more. It uses circumstances to expand its awareness of what reality can be so that it can identify what it wants and does not want, and so that it can refine qualities of the self within that context. Your life is the context. You are the soul. You are not your life. You are not your thoughts about your life. You are not your beliefs. You are not your body. You are not your thoughts about your body. You are not the relationships you have with others. You are the soul. Infinite, expansive, unlimited, powerful spirit. The essay goes on and says, a couple very simple metaphors may be helpful. Physical life might very crudely be compared to getting on a roller coaster. Once you are strapped in, you're in for a ride and you can't get off. The ride may be terrifying while you're on it, but it's exhilarating to experience and it creates a wonderful memory. Oftentimes, those who get off of a roller coaster get back in line to get right back on. Others may decide they've had enough of roller coasters and not get back on. Another very crude analogy might be that physical life is like lifting weights on a weight bench. The counterpressure of the weights pushing against you is uncomfortable, and yet you utilize the counterpressure to grow stronger and become capable of more. In our case, it is not physical muscle we are building, but spiritual muscle. We are growing our capacity to successfully engage realities in a loving, creative, and fearless manner. We are growing our capacity to successfully engage our experience of the present moment and extend love to stay consciously aware of our true nature as love and extend that even in the stressful, sometimes painful experiences of our physical life. The essay goes on, the physical universe is a high-intensity, full-blown, quote, experience context, close quotes, wherein the soul, which is your awareness, can temporarily adopt a role within form and use that role to better discover and refine itself. Your circumstances, then, are not curses, no matter how dire they may seem. 
your circumstances are precious opportunities. At times, those opportunities can seem overwhelming or perhaps even impossible to endure. There is no shame in becoming overpowered by circumstance. I'm, I'm called to just repeat that again. I deal with people on a regular basis who have some of the most horrific, overwhelming, tsunami-like life experiences. And I just want to read again. There is no shame in becoming overpowered by experience. The next paragraph reads, Your true power does not lie in your ability to mold your circumstance or circumstances to how you would prefer them to be. Your true power lies in your ability to choose how you will meet those circumstances. Sometimes, physically speaking, you can do nothing at all. And yet, you always have the power to meet your experience with courage, humility, acceptance, and love. That power is the true power. For you have your physical context with a high quality of intent. You have come here to do just this, to actually and personally meet your physical context with a high quality of intent. When you do that, you will be using the counter-pressure of the physical world as it was intended, and you will automatically begin to transcend the challenges of the physical experience. Your true power does not lie in your ability to mold your circumstances to how you would prefer them to be. Your true power lies in your ability to choose how you will meet your circumstances. There are times when, physically speaking, there is nothing you can do, and yet you always have the power to meet your experience with courage, humility, acceptance, and love. That is your true power. Some would say you've actually come here to learn how to extend love in more and more challenging contexts and situations. And there have been people who have led the way, who have demonstrated staying in love staying focused on loving energy, choosing only loving thoughts, choosing to share only their loving thoughts in some of the most extenuating, torturous, difficult situations. Humans can devise for other humans or the flow of life itself presents people. One of those stories comes from the book the Gentle Art of Blessing by Pierre Pratervand, and he tells the story of how they went to liberate the prisoner of war camps, not prisoner of war camps, the uh, concentration camps in Germany, 
where they'd been starving and torturing people for years. And when they went to liberate the camps, they were interviewing the people as they were releasing them. And there's this one gentleman there who was tall and vibrant and robust, and they just simply assumed that he had just gotten there because everybody else around him was emaciated and suffering from malnutrition and and worse, right? They had sores, etc. And when they interviewed him, they were shocked to find out that he'd been there for, I forget whether it's seven or 11 years, he'd been in the camp. And he, the story he told was that he was an attorney and the Germans came to his town and they lined up people in the town, including his entire family, and shot them right in front of him. And he begged to be shot and they wouldn't shoot him because they said, you're valuable to us, you speak all these different languages. And so in that moment, he had the choice to try to you know, kill these Germans, to rage at them, to be filled with hatred. And he, he told them, I made a decision at that point in life. He said, I had seen what hatred does to people through my law practice. And he said, I simply made the determination that whether I lived for another minute, an hour, a day, or a decade, I was going to choose love. And that was the only thing he could say about how and why he remained healthier and more vibrant and more vital in his energy than everybody else. He was eating the same foods. He was eating the same slop and a pittance of it. And then there are stories like Nelson Mandela, and there are stories told about him being in prison for over 20 years and the guards actively working to be abusive to him and his refusing to be abusive back, and eventually the guards would soften. And when they found out, when the higher-ups in the prison found out that the guards were no longer abusing him, they would switch out the guards to a new guard, and they would start abusing him again. And he would hold loving intentions and refuse to take the bait or fight back, and eventually they would soften, and that cycle went on. For I believe it was 27 years, I might be misquoting that, but you can look up how long Nelson Mandela was in prison. And then he got out. And instead of, you know, they want to elect him to, to be the president uh, of the country and um, to overturn apartheid and all of this other stuff. And instead of wanting vengeance, he's preaching love and acceptance and pardoning these people and starting fresh and treating everyone with respect. And then there's the stories of Roger McGowan, and this is another one that comes from comes to my awareness through the writings and work of Pierre Pratervant. And Roger McGowan was put on death row in Texas for a crime that they absolutely know he didn't commit. And yet, in Texas, there is a, a long history of innocent people being put on death row and kept there interminably, and even being executed. And so when this story came to Pierre Pratervan's awareness and he started corresponding with Roger McGowan, um, Pierre was so impressed by his loving intent and his desire to stay loving and to, to learn and grow spiritually that 
they started a series of correspondences that led to Pierre writing the book, Messages of Life from Death Row. Well, I don't know the truth of, of a book like A Walk in the Physical. I can't know the truth. Did Christian Sundberg actually have a pre-life experience, or is all he just making all of this up? Was it a dream? But I know that the truth of these choices for each of us in life to choose love over fear or love over hatred or rage or confusion or bitterness is a real choice. I've had it in my own life. I've seen it with patients over the years, and I've experienced it for myself, and I've watched other people experience the incredible strength that we can tap into when we refuse to give in to anger and rage. And when we do that in situations where we have traditionally responded with anger and rage, it is amazing the strength we can tap into. It's a strength that cannot be accessed any other way that I know of. And the choice is to choose for love. I just want to take a moment to remind people that the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, at any time when I'm talking, discussing, reading directly, I am happy to interrupt and take your comments or questions. The next essay is number 80 and is titled, Form Cannot Explain the Formless. And the very brief one-paragraph essay says, You can't fully explain capital R reality, this would be what Michael Rice calls actuality, by pointing to forms, and forms, by the way, include words and ideas and beliefs and dogmas. You can't explain the capital W whole by pointing at the part. Since the whole, capital W whole, all that is, is consciousness, the whole can only be fully identified as it is experienced as consciousness. When one is experiencing form, that is, if it experiences differentiation of any kind, when that happens, one is not experiencing the whole. Take care, then, when attempting to explain some things by using other things. Anytime you're doing that, you are not fully explaining capital B, big, capital T, truth. And you are not fully explaining, quote, all that is, close quotes. You're only dealing with parts, a very limited, sometimes nearly microscopic subset of all that is. The next essay is titled, The Gift of Vulnerability. And I switch out that word vulnerability, and I substitute the word openness. Because all of these deep spiritual teachings say to us over and over again, 
Your true essence cannot be hurt. You are completely safe in every moment. You were never born, you will never die, you'll never taste death, etc. All these spiritual teachings say who and what you are can't be hurt. Your ego can be threatened and, and feel, generate hurt and generate the belief of separation and therefore pain and suffering. And yet your true nature is always 100% safe. So when I read something like this, in my mind, and for the sake of this Internet show, I will substitute the word openness, wide open, deeply honest, withholding nothing for their word, their use of the word vulnerability. And the essay reads, being open, wide open with somebody is a gift to them. If you want to love someone, be open with them. Be wide open with them. Open yourself to fully expose your pain and weakness. Show your tender heart and allow them full room to show theirs. Be completely present with them, just as you are and just as they are, without any need for judgment and therefore without any need for protection. That is, in fact, giving them something precious. But what's more, being wide open with somebody else also conveys a gift to yourself as well. For openness is a wide road to love, and love is what you were born for. The experience of your true nature is what you were born for. Your ability to extend that loving energy, that energy of creation, is what you were born for. The gift of vulnerability, or the gift of living wide open. And most of us have been so conditioned to hiding and to pretense and to um, defense and projection and attack by others, verbally, mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, etc. Most of us have been so conditioned to try to present a persona or an image and all of the shoulds in life that we have no idea how far we actually are within ourselves that we live so far from deep, wide-open honesty. And there are people who've written about this. Laura McGowan in her book, We Are the Luckiest, and Glennon Doyle in her book, Untamed. They write beautifully about what a challenge it is when you recognize how dishonest you've been conditioned to be, what a challenge it is to work toward honesty at deeper and deeper levels this is like the fish in the water you ask a fish how's the water they say what water they if they're living it they're breathing in it they have no idea it's like our air how's the air today well unless you stop and think about it you don't unless it's really full of smoke or smog or 
something bitter or acrid, you don't even think about the air. So we are so conditioned in this culture to dishonesty, to partial truths, to misrepresentation, to facade, to putting on a good face, to dressing up before leaving the house, to putting on an image of being, you know, totally together, to being unshakable or unflappable. There are levels of dishonesty that we are so ingrained in that we're not even aware of. And when one starts the endeavor, the path, the choice of the adventure to uncover all of the ways one is dishonest with oneself and others, it's amazing what we find. Truly amazing. So, the gift of vulnerability is not easily given to yourself or another because if you choose to give that gift, you will run smack dab into layer after layer of conditioning to be closed off, to reveal only partial truths, to do active deceit. It permeates, I will just say as a flat statement, every aspect of our culture. Again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And we've got about 14 minutes left if anybody wants to make a comment or raise a question. The next essay I will read is titled, A Perspective on Suffering. It's number 83. And the essay reads, As a human, it can be difficult to understand suffering. But from a greater perspective of the spirit, the potential to suffer, and even actual suffering, is greatly worth the trouble. And then there's a parenthesis that says, Though it's never technically a requirement to suffer. Close parenthesis. It goes on and says, capital W, what, capital I, is, what is, in quotes, the truth of life can become more when it, what is, as you, you, what is, the truth of life can become more when, through you, it can experience a specific contrast even when it can experience fully what it, quote, doesn't like, close quotes. Because this better defines the opposite. Creation utilizes definition. Free will requires a context. The spirit in a fundamentally joyful state 
decides in all its eternal and invincible power to facilitate new experiences for itself so that it can integrate them. And in so doing, it can become even more. It can expand the frontier of all experience, and it can add more to the joy. This is almost impossible for us as humans to comprehend. These are simply words pointing in a direction of something. The next paragraph reads, Sometimes in that process the soul must seemingly be tired and tried to its very limits. But so it is in creation that ever grows and becomes more. For if it did not, creation would be stagnant, and it would not become more. All that is, what is, is what is. And it can't be anything else. So if it wishes to increase its scope of actually experiencing and expanding, it needs to also be things that are challenging, painful, and constraining, too. When even those challenges have been integrated, its what isness expands in due measure, and the native joy and love of creation grows with it. Suffering is also meaningful in another way. It serves as the feedback and the counter-pressure sometimes necessary to drive the individual consciousness to personally grow its quality of intent toward love. We have said over and over again in this work that the true purpose for your being here is to grow the quality of your intent toward love. Course in Miracles would say to choose again and choose love over fear. This essay goes on and says, Many are driven to spiritual growth through suffering. While that might be incomprehensible to the human ego, to the spirit that exists in eternity, and to the one who sincerely wishes to grow in eternal love and fearlessness, such a price is actually accepted with gratitude. This is like the individual who's decided, I've got the genetics for it, I've got the picture in my mind, I want to become a champion bodybuilder, I want to win X and Y competition, I need to restrict my food this way, I need to exercise and lift weights this way i need to make this a priority in my life and it is not fun much of the time and yet i gladly accept it the thing that just popped into my mind is stories i've been hearing lately about different movie stars who have played the roles of the muscle men and women where they have extensive definition in their muscle fibers and and muscles rippling and and they talk about what they have to do physically prior to that shooting of that scene because most of these people who have the the, the body and the, and the physique that you admire on the screen or that looks like you know 
the rippling muscles of Aquaman or Superman or Wolverine or the Incredible Hulk, those shots are taken after the person has undergone like a 48 or 72-hour dehydrating process so that they literally go without water to, to drain all the water out of the body so that the skin is so tight on the muscles that it enhances the definition. It's a torturous process. And yet they gladly accept it because they, they like the result. They like the way it looks on the screen. They like the money they get from that movie process. What this teaching is telling us is that your higher self, regardless of the challenges financially, physically, mentally, emotionally, in your life, your higher self gladly accepts that challenge for the opportunity to teach only love in more and more challenging circumstances, for you to be able to grow in the quality of intent toward love that you hold consciously moment to moment. And you can't grow in the quality of intention towards love if everything is going the way you want it to. It's easy to hold images of daisies and roses in your favorite friends and life and happiness and skipping down the path when everything's going the way you want it to. It's not so easy to hold awareness of your true nature as love and extend that in every moment when life is going the opposite of what you think it should. The last paragraph reads, there will come a time someday when you will be able to look back at your own suffering and see its greater context. Until then, let yourself feel what you feel and let go of all of your judgments about it. Take heart, for your true nature always remains unharmed, invincible, no matter how much pain your local body may feel or how dark your human life may seem. The source of all creation is always, always with you. Be bountifully hopeful in your true invincible nature and in your inseverable unity with source, for there is always hope available through what you actually are, your true nature, Beneath all of this rather convincing physical experience, you remain as you were created to be. That's the phrase that is repeated over and over in the way of mastery. You cannot be anything other than you were created to be. You remain as you were created to be. You're whole and complete just as you are. There is nothing of value that can be added unto you and nothing of value that can be taken from you. It is completely safe for you to be wide open and deeply honest at more and more intense levels every moment of every day in direct contrast to what your culture would teach you, what your past life experiences in your family would teach you. You are perfectly safe and it is 
perfectly safe for you to be wide open and honest in every moment. And from that position of wide open honesty, get direct conscious awareness of your true nature as love and extend that love to everyone in every interaction. And that is the recipe that Einstein laid out for us as the only way to break out of the prison that our special affection for others creates for us. The prison that comes from seeing, feeling, living in the optical delusion that we are separated and separate from anyone or anything. The only way to break out of that? Extend deep love. The true nature, your true nature, and the the true nature of everyone you interact with, extend that in each new present moment. That's the only way to break out of a prison that comes from believing you're separate or separated from anyone or anything. So that's our first hour for today. Um, I will be back again for tomorrow and Thursday and then on Friday there will be the advanced playing of the second Pierre Prater Van interview I was blessed to be able to give and then next week there will be a series of shows some of them from this internet show as replays and some of them from on your mind podcasts some of them exclusively here for the first time and some of those that have been published on the On Your Mind podcast. So I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I will welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Kim. I appreciate it. You're most welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio and today is Tuesday, May the 16th, 2023 and our calling number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show a few minutes before he gets on with us so I've got a reading that I'm going to do, but first I'd like to say that if you go to our website and click, and our website's why, again, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G, click on schedule and go down to Global Online Book Club, and uh, that's where we, I'm trying to, to do it at the same time I'm talking. And you scroll down just a little bit and you'll see the archived sessions, and so the one that they just did, on May the 11th on Chapter 3. They're going one chapter at a time, so you can go back and look, and there's Chapter 1, Chapter 2, and Chapter 3 so far. And um, Yinka does PowerPoints to go with the, the book chapters, and so uh, put those, go click on those and watch them. We have them on our YouTube channel now as well. And uh, we invite you to 
go out and look around. If you find anything that's not working, please let me know. Drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and I will attempt to fix whatever isn't working right. So, uh, like I said yesterday, I have started the Untethered Soul. You're going to have to wait a minute, baby. Uh, the Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And I talked a little bit about the first chapter where he talks about the voice in your head. So I'm going to start with chapter two and read. This is called The Inner Roommate. Your inner growth is completely dependent upon the realization that the only way to find peace and contentment is to stop thinking about yourself. You're ready to grow when you finally realize that the I, who is always talking inside, will never be content. That's what kind of what Michael was talking about yesterday, that the ego continuously asks questions until its last question is answered, and then it'll finally shut up, and then you can get to being. So it says, you're ready to grow when you finally realize that the I, who is always talking inside, will never be content. It always has a problem with something, honestly. When was the last time you really had nothing bothering you? Before you had your current problem, there was a different problem. And if you're wise, you will realize that after this one's gone, there will be another one. The bottom line is, you'll never be free of problems until you are free from the part within that has so many problems. When a problem is disturbing you, and of course we know that's not Nothing can disturb you, but it has come up inside of you and brought up disturbance. Don't ask, what should I do about it? But instead ask, what part of me is being disturbed by this or triggered by this? If you ask, what should I do about it? You've already fallen into believing that there really is a problem outside that must be dealt with. If you want to achieve peace in the face of your problems, you must understand why you perceive a particular situation as a problem. If you're feeling jealousy, instead of trying to see how you can protect yourself, just ask, what part of me is jealous? That will cause you to look inside and see that there is a part of you that is having a problem with jealousy. Once you clearly see the disturbed part, then ask, who is it that sees this? Who notices this inner disturbance? This is the solution to your every problem. The very fact that you can see the disturbance means that you are not it. The process of seeing something requires a subject-object relationship. The subject is called the witness because it is the one who sees what's happening. The object is what you are seeing, in this case, the inner disturbance. This act of maintaining objective awareness of the inner problem is always better than losing yourself in the outer situation. This is the essential difference between a spiritual-minded person and a worldly person. Worldly doesn't mean that you have money or stature. Worldly means that you think the solution to your inner problems is in the world outside. You think that if you change things outside, you'll be okay. But nobody has ever truly become okay by changing things outside. There's always the next problem. Are you late, please? The only real solution is to take the seat of witness consciousness and completely change your frame of reference. Excuse me just a moment. Sweetie, I'm reading. I'm not reading. Okay. All right. 
All right. Um, to attain true inner freedom, you must be able to objectively watch your problems instead of being lost in them. That's what Michael talks about, being the actor apart from the action and being the observer apart from being what's observed. No solution can possibly exist while you're lost in the energy of the problem. Everyone knows you can't deal well with a situation if you're getting anxious, scared, or angry about it. The first problem you have to deal with is your own reaction. You will not be able to solve anything outside until you own how the situation affects you inside. Problems are generally not what they appear to be. When you get clear enough, you will realize that the real problem is that there is something inside of you that can have a problem with almost anything. The first step is to deal with that part of you. This involves a change from outer solution consciousness to inner solution consciousness. You have to break the habit of thinking that the solution to your problems is to rearrange things outside. The only permanent solution to your problems is to go inside and let go of the part of you that seems to have so many problems with reality. Once you do that, you'll be clear enough to deal with what's left. So I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to see if anybody has a question or a comment about that. If you have read this book or if you've done, now it also has a workbook that goes along with it. So if you've ever done Michael Singer's um, book or reading or anything like that, um, you might have a comment about that. Oh, I see Michael has joined us. So I'm going to turn on his microphone. Hi there. Thank you, sweetie. I'm, that was very delicate the way you said that. <laughs> so I have a comment <laughs> that you're going to turn on my microphone. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, my comment, as you were reading that right toward the end, what, what came to me is the ultimate trap of the ego and its problems is like, well, yes, everything's okay right now, but just wait, the other shoe is going to drop. <laughs> the, uh, the fear game of the non-being mind and how it's founded in the whole structure that most people call the self doesn't even exist except as a set of frequencies held in brain cells. And for most people, that set of frequencies is based in some form of hostility and fear. And that hostility and fear, recognizing how perception is constructed. And as you read through uh, Mickey's book, it'll be interesting to uh, to see how he deals with or what he comes up with as what's the structure behind this. But in terms of the work of the why is this happening to me again work, you know, looking at Yeshua 2,000 years ago saying, in order for you to live, you've got to die. And the die isn't about your physiology. It's about the self that you've been trained to think you are, that you've come to believe that you are, that's based in hostility, fear, and problems, and recognizing that it's just a, a structure that is generated by the mind. And the number one skill to be acquired is the ability to collapse that structure. And this genius mind 2,000 years ago came along with a total, complete, 1,000% solution 
In fact, it's interesting, the same solution is presented in A Course in Miracles, and the, the Course talks about forgiveness as the only single-edged sword. In other words, everything else that you could come up with, every explanation, everything, 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 the non-being mind can turn against itself, but not forgiveness. And the reason for that is because the core of forgiveness lies in understanding that the constructs of the mind are nothing but constructs of the mind, whether they're about self or somebody else. And that means that they're based in content that we hold within us and that the application of forgiveness collapses that construct. That's why it's the only single-edged sword. I mean, it makes perf such perfect sense uh, when you get down to the, the root of it and the understanding that Yeshua had and presented 2,000 years ago and then reiterates in Course in Miracles. And that solution lies in a single sentence. And the Course in Miracles talks about that whole process as one that, quote, cannot but fail to be completely understood. Denied, yes, but not ambiguous. And if you deny it now, it will, be, it will be because the cost seemed too high. And what's the cost? What's the cost of forgiveness? You've got to give up these perceptual constructs that are based in I'm right, you're wrong, it's settled by why argue. You know, somebody else is the enemy, somebody else is the problem, blah, 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 blah. And, and so understanding that the core of forgiveness very concisely stated by Course in Miracles speaks of the fact that I must let go. I must remove the way the Course says it specifically is open a curtain in your practicing by merely letting go all the things you think you want, i.e. your goals. The Course goes on in that passage to say, your trifling treasure put away. Why is this a single-edged sword? Because when your trifling treasure, the thing you think you want, aside from experiencing yourself as love, as the human being that you are, it, it, there are a million things, a million desires in the naked city, and not one of them leads to satisfaction. You might remember that song, the... I don't remember the name of the band that had out a few decades ago. I can't get no satisfaction. And there is no satisfaction in anything that your mind can generate. There might be some fun. There might be some good distraction. But ultimately, collapsing those perceptual constructs of the mind by canceling the driver that drives your mind to function out of that problem state of unresolved generational traumas. And as you do that, and as you do that continuously, consistently, persistently, each time you do that, you open a curtain, you open a space for the active presence of love to arrive in your mind. And as that active presence of love dawns upon you, 
you get to start to realize that that's who you are. That's what you are, as Dr. Jim was saying. You know, it's the only thing that's true about us. All the rest is just structure, and, you know, we can find a lot of evidence for certain structures in our minds. But not one true word has ever been spoken by that mind. Well, Michael, what do you mean, not one true word? Of course, we, we, you, you're even talking, you're even explaining to us in words. Well, but I'm not proclaiming that any word I'm saying is true. Words are nothing but symbols of constructs of the mind. And constructs of the mind are nothing but symbols of what's actually going on in the world. And recognizing that, you replace the, the fallacy of self, lowercase s, self, with the ongoing realization of who you are. And then once the realization of who you are happens, then the functioning of who you are begins. The functioning of a human being as love doesn't begin until the realization comes who I am, what I'm here for, and how I function. And that discovery comes from the single-edged sword of forgiveness. Search, I'm you know, I've been on this path. I've been doing this search for 50 years. I've gone in every direction. I've been to China looking. I've been to Tibet. I've been to India. I've looked everywhere and came back home to the first century Aramaic words of Yeshua. And I haven't found anybody else that even starts to hold a candle to the truth he brought forward. And here it is. There's one single-edged sword. If you're in pain, if you're in error, or if you're in trauma of any sort, the root of that is the unresolved energetic patterns within yourself. Access those patterns out of a growing state of awareness of yourself as the conscious active presence of love. Treat yourself and others out of that state of active present love and human life blossoms, and we're all here to blossom as human beings. So thank you, Mickey. Thank you, Michael Singer, for writing those words and opening that uh, statement. And thank you, Jeannie, for sharing it as an opening. Yeah, absolutely. This might be a fun, this might be a fun format to, uh, uh, to do on the show for a while. That maybe we start out reading a passage or two. And then let's go into it yeah. from the perspective of the why work. Might be might be an interesting new way to to uh, to move forward. I agree. That works. And I only read yeah. like uh, yeah. the first two paragraphs so of that chapter. So there's a cool a lot to do, a lot to cover, and we do yes. have a hand up. Awesome. Let's say hello. Okay. Give me just a minute. I just walked into the other room a second. Had to pick something up there, so sorry. Apologies for that delay. And oh, I believe that it is Miss Cecilia. It's area code four eight zero. You are on the air. Hi, everybody. Hey, young lady. How are you today? 
fine. Your work is just incredibly powerful in my life. I can tell you I've been doing the, my, um, the intensive that I didn't really commit to back in 2021. Right. I've been doing, You're rocking on uh, it. Yeah, mind shifters, I've been doing a lot of stuff. Now, let me tell you, a testimonial. Um, I had two offers on my Phoenix house, okay, and I got a call from my realtor over the weekend. Um, I didn't get excited about it because my priority is about about being connected to my source, okay? That's my primary goal, and that surprised me because I would have been jumping up and down in the streets, you know? So <laughs> I so, hear you. There's so, no bigger prize. <laughs> so so that was a testimonial. Another testimonial. Years ago, you told me to, I don't know how you told me, I was looking for a non-anesthesia person to help clean my six teeth, dog's teeth, help me clean, because I can clean, but I just need help. And uh, it was real cool, and I it never happened. And so uh, the same day that my house, got two offers, a um, a text came to me that she didn't even text me. Uh, she does non-anesthesia teeth cleaning. Anyway, she came by yesterday, and we cleaned all six teeth. Okay. The next thing and that is most important is on Mother's Day, my son-in-law and daughter came over, and um, Nicole was telling them about how what that the eyes don't see what's, what's out there. It sees what's, you know... Uh, some pers- some Your mind's producing, yeah. Yes, and mm-hmm. I said, and I hallucinated about uh, the Malloys, and, which is my family, and your dad. And she's just, they're just, they couldn't speak, okay? This is, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I didn't enter gradually to talk about your stuff, you know, but I, I could, I, you know, it just came out, and I thought, that, you know, and I think that they were actually listening without arguing, okay? And so I said, this awesome. means that I said this means that I can have a relationship with the Malloys again. And she said, "Why would you want to?" And I said, "Why wouldn't I want to?" And and see, I I was her power person, so she got the stuff that I have. Right? So so so. Uh, I, that was all great, the greatest Mother's Day in the world, and she doesn't get why it was the greatest Mother's Day for me, but I, I, she thinks I need to get a life. And so so, yeah. um, so, so during the next day, I, I came to me, you know, this would mean the world to her if I were to do this for her father. So, I mean, I don't even know if it would, because remember when Olivia – the one that wrote the book, Benson, and about fathers and not having a father, and she didn't, you know, her father was absent, you know. So, and you suggested that I break her into, you know, this work somehow, right? Well, that's how it came out yesterday. So, so, and the idea came to me is that I, I do a letter like the Dear Dad letter that somebody did. I don't know why, why I have it, but you guys had maybe had a way to give me a copy of it. The Dear Dad letter from somebody talking to their alcoholic dad and telling him. Yeah, that's the, re- the, uh, yeah, the responsibility communication component. You'll come to that in the intensity as you go on. You'll come to that core uh, piece of the oh. puzzle. Yeah, well, I did it anyway, and I thought, I mean, I'm working on it anyway, and I thought not only am I nice. going to do this, 
my, my family. I'm going to do it for her father, who was the guy that, you know, in, and when I hallucinated, tried to kill me, right? When she was young. Yep. And, I, and, and I thought, you know, and we'll get together, and Michelle and me and her, him can get together occasionally as a family. And she can see that that things heal, you know. Healing things happens. Heal. Yay. Nice work. And, so, and that will that will hopefully change her percep- perception, right, of life, right? And maybe the, her little Grinch heart will Possibilities. grow. You know? Possibilities. 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 Yeah. Now, you know, the, there's that old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can make him thirsty. Uh, what you're doing I, is what's called making them thirsty. Oh, make them thirsty, yeah. And <laughs> if I, you try to force feed them water, it'll never work. <laughs> but if you make them thirsty, they'll drink. <laughs> and, and I also heard it open the window for everybody involved. You know, when I heard part of the show yesterday when that caller called in, yeah. if he does the work, part, he opens the window for all involved to, 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 uh, to heal, to do healing work. not all, not only okay. all involved, like, for instance, in his family system or yours, but anybody okay. on the planet that has a similar issue. I don't care if they're in Tibet or China or where they are. If they right. have a similar issue, each person that opens that energy window of healing makes it a little easier for the next person to pass through the door. So we're not just doing this work for ourselves. You know, the, the principle is it's elucidating, of course, when you are healed, you are never healed alone. Right, right, right. So nice work. Well, now, now that you're on the Course in Miracles, is, is it, do you recommend me getting your, your um, I did do Course in Miracles for many, many, many years, but I couldn't get it. And I saw on your website, and you guys do a great job of interpreting it. And so is that what that video is that I can get so that I can... I can finally yes. get mm-hmm. Yes, okay. It's in it's in the catalog and there's yes, also a 48 it. tape or 48 other okay. uh, 90 to 120 minute uh audio lectures on course in miracles. Mo- most of the the uh series in that 48 uh CD series or download series is um is on the Course in Miracles. And, yeah, I've, I've taught the course for 40-plus years, and I've actually, and I've done, you know, traveled, you know, how I used to travel, and I've done Course in Miracles groups all over the country, and I've never met another person who has understood how forgiveness is done. Okay. And... And I'm saying from working with the Course. And I never understood it from the Course. I only understood it when I started to get it from the first century Aramaic and Yeshua's teachings. And it was like then when I when yeah. I had the brain cells from the Aramaic yeah. and I went to the Course, like, oh, my God, there it is. You know, in Aramaic, uh-huh. the word forgive is shebag, which means to cancel. I go to the Course uh-huh. in that lesson, you know, open a curtain in your press, yeah. and what's it say? Let go all the things you think you want. There it is. Cancel the goals. You're trifling treasure. Put away, you collapse perception, you've left a clean and open space in your mind for love to show up. And what else matters if that's what you're getting? And, you know, it sounds like you're right on track for it. So thanks for being ready and willing. That's awesome and sharing it with us. So, so I wonder if I need help writing this. Is it called what the dad letter is? Is what called, what is it called? Get a communication letter. Response, responsibility communication. Yes. If oh, you want okay. to write it, 
Yeah. If you want to write it and email it to me and just send me a yeah. text letting me know you've emailed it, like I've got more I emails will. than I can keep up with, send me a text. Okay. I'll look at it and I'll give okay. you feedback on it. So be delighted okay. to. All right. Well, awesome. I want to just share one more testimony, email and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. So uh, the guy came by who's doing my deck, He's and, and there's carpenter bees and stuff that I don't want them to kill. Okay, but they got to put soap in the, in the nest. So, you know, it's killing this really humongous deck that the person that built this house it, built, okay? And and they're kind of chewing holes in the whole thing, right? So, and I know I don't want to kill insects either, okay? And so okay. I, I said I won't use you. But the bottom line is... Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the bottom line is... What's the te- we don't need really know a lot about the bees, but what's the bottom line of the testimonial that you want to offer? What opened for you? Oh, oh yes. The bottom line is thanks is that I shared with him uh, things that I was working on when I was. I'm very friendly to people come over, and for some reason I started talking about what I'm working on right with you, and mm-hmm. and then when he was just. He stopped working and stayed here two two extra hours just to listen and ask questions. Mm. Did you give him the, the information for the, the radio show? Yes, I, I, I gave him the radio awesome. show link. I gave him the why again. I gave him a worksheet. He wanted the work worksheet. I gave him a commitment. Awesome. And he said, uh, yes, yeah, so so he, he's coming by tomorrow. And I don't know. You know, he said, you're the really, really wise. I said, we all are. But, you know, we have things that block it, you know. Well, anyway, you said you wanted to teach, so it sounds like it's opening for you. It, there you it go. It is, and it comes out so awesome. naturally. So mm-hmm. anyway, I appreciate yeah. everything. Unbelievable. Thank you. Or awesome. should I say believable? And, you know, say when it's believable. That, that very good catch, <laughs> good catch. And <laughs> when it's firsthand experience as opposed to, you know, sitting in a pew somewhere and hearing somebody talk about something but not having the actual experience, Yes. It becomes hollow, but when you've got the experience, people oh. get the energy. So nice work, yes. and, yes. and delayed you. you're Thanks. passing it on. All right. Thanks. Have a blessed Bye. one. Thanks. Bye. All right. Blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sweet. Rock and roll. The single-edged sword. Again, you know, it's just mind-boggling how simple the solution is. I'm in upset, and so... I locate the goal that I'm holding for whoever or whatever I'm focused on, whether it's me or someone else, and I cancel that goal. Again, the Aramaic word that's been translated as forgiveness is shabag or shabak, and it literally means to cancel. And when I cancel a goal, and I mean when I sincerely cancel a goal, the whole complex structured by my mind, collapses in on itself. And that's when I get to touch my own unconscious mind. took me 35 years of working with first century Aramaic forgiveness to understand that one sentence. That's the power. That's where the real crux of forgiveness is. So inviting you into the practice. And, you know, there's that circumstance where I think it was uh, Peter that said, you know, well, how many of these worksheets do we have to do anyway? Is, is seven enough? He said in the form of, and how many times should I forgive as to my brother? By the way, those two little words, the Greeks translate, how many times should I forgive my brother? Like I'm going to let my brother off the hook for something. But in Aramaic, 
in each case where the implication is you're forgiving someone else, they left out those two words. How many times should I forgive as to my brother? So I interact with my brother and my rage comes up. Do I forgive my brother because rage is being generated by my mind, by my physiology? No. But I forgive not my brother, but as to what my brother has brought. So my brother brought up my rage. So then we could, we could more correctly hear Peter's question of, of Yeshua. How many times should I forgive as to what my brother brings up in me? Now we're back on track with actual forgiveness. Sadly, in all the interactions I've done with people working with the Course in Miracles, unless they've worked with the first century Aramaic ideas of Yeshua, I haven't met one person that knows how to do forgiveness. There's all kinds of conversation about it. And actually, there are a lot of conversations that go on. You know, if you go on Facebook, there are many, many, many Course in Miracles uh, groups you can join, and I've joined most of them. And I tap into them, and usually what I hear is some kind of a, an argument where somebody's trying to convince somebody else of the truth. I promise I will never try to convince you of the truth. We know what you are because it showed up when forgiveness occurred. We can explain to you with words how forgiveness is done. That's the limit of what language can do, what words can do. It's another passage in the Course that speaks about you go back to the words that the world of darkness, in other words, the world of perception, where there is no live experience, there's just regenerating from past content. You go back to that world of words, in this case the Course refers to it as darkness, and proclaim its unreality. You'll notice if you go back and listen to all the years of this radio show, every interaction, every, every none of it's about telling you what's true except as to how to use the tools. Here's, here are the directions. Words can do that. Here are the directions, how to use the tools. But otherwise it's like, well... You know, you're telling me that you're enraged, but the truth about you is love. So rage is a lie. What does the Course say? Go back to the world of the word, pardon me, the world of words, the world of darkness, only to proclaim its unreality that still has meaning in the world that darkness rules. So yes, we'll give directions with these tools, but the ultimate truth, I don't know what it is. I experience new levels of it every day and feel like, you know, very recently feeling like, gee, I'm just starting to grasp it. I'm just starting to understand it. And then a new piece of work comes up and another level of, oh, oh, that's it. But can I talk about it? Can I put it into words? No. Words are symbols of symbols. That's all they are. Your mind produces pictures. They're symbols. And then you put words to the symbols, and, and now we're trying. So I, I watch lots of Course in Miracles groups on Facebook. The people will be arguing about what the Course interpretation, what's true, what's accurate. It's like, well, it would be good to go back and look at the passage in the Course that says the truth can't be represented in words. 
can't do it. So what's all this argument about? Egos bouncing off, trying to prove to other egos that they know. I don't know the ultimate truth of your life or my own. I know the experience of being, the experience of love. I know that we can each have that experience. You know, if, if you listen, and, and thank you again for calling in and sharing what you just shared. If you go back a couple of years ago and the amount of trauma you were in and when you first called just a few weeks ago, proclaiming you were ready to go to work, the amount of trauma you were in. And what a turnaround. That's how fast it can happen. Of course, the readiness helps <laughs> because until somebody's ready, no, hold on to those old realities, those old explanations as though they were gold, as though they were life itself, and they're not. So delighted that you're here to share this space with us, and we've still got, boy, it seems like the show's been going on for an hour already, at least to me. But we've still got almost 30 minutes left. So if you're out there in listener land, how about showing us a hand and saying hello and sharing with us what's going on in your world, what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your process? How can we support you? We have a hand. And I'll, and I'll, oh, great. Let's say hello. It is area code 610. I believe it's Susan. Welcome to the show. Ah, wait a minute. You're hey. There it goes. Okay. Hey. Hey. Welcome, good show. Lady. Yep. Well, good show. Uh, I don't know how you do it. You always have something that is new. Sometimes there are a few oldies in there, and then you get a new one. <laughs> it's very helpful. Thank you. <laughs> you have to have oldies. What are you going to do? Talk for an hour every day, five days a week? And be some reruns. Well, when someone gives us the privilege of a conversation, it gets a lot easier. <laughs> I'm sure it does, and I understand. Talk about a new level. Okay. It was about a few weeks ago, months maybe, that I'd been reading this book with Dr. Tim, uh, A Walk in the Physical. And there was a, an amazing release of terrible fear of death in me, which holds it's still true. So what happens? I learn that my blood sugar is up. I'm not diabetic quite. My blood pressure went up from 90 over 60, which has been all my life, to about 124 over 80, which is my heart doctor said, hey, hey, you have to take this statin. And I was telling you about that. I took oh, well, well, Wait a minute. For, because of 124 over 80, is that because of your, uh, your heart um, device? I mean, 12480 sounds like pretty good blood pressure to me. I'm glad to hear that. What I'm going to say is that, okay, fear came up. Not that I was going to die. That's okay. But I want to be really powerful until I die, and I don't want anybody messing with my health. So I, I listened to this guy named Eric Berg because I took a statin, and as I was telling you after a wonderful period of tremendous vitality, suddenly I experienced 
tremendous fatigue, and you thought it might be um, a healing crisis, and it may well have been, but it didn't go away. And I read side effects of statins include fatigue in some people. I got in touch with a doctor, and I love it that you know about forgiveness, and you're a nutrition expert. Yay! So I can ask you these things. I called him and he said, well, you should be on the statin, but why don't you go off for two weeks? I think it's probably long COVID that you've got. You probably just had this post-COVID fatigue. I thought, this is new. This is really new. I went off and in a day and a half, I was back to my regular self. So I said, well, I think we found the culprit and it is the statin. What now? And he said, I'll put you on a different one. And I said, wait a minute. Is there nothing I can do? outside of taking a statin drug, which I've heard a lot of bad things about. And he said, well, there are some bad things, but in your case, you know, you're in a category where you have a 14% higher risk of stroke and heart attack because of your family history, too. There's a lot of that stuff. Diabetes, uh, angina, uh, strokes. My mother had tons of mini strokes, and her blood pressure went from very low to suddenly labile, and it went out of control at times, and she had many, many strokes, little teeny strokes, and she was okay but much weakened by them. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do what this Dr. Bird said, and I'm on this um, intermittent fasting, a very simple keto diet, but not a whole lot of protein, mostly vegetables, certain allowed fruits, eating twice a day, 11 o'clock in the morning and about 6 at night, and fasting for the rest. And it is great, but I have this little watch that I got as a reward from filling out a survey that's like a mini, one of those Apple watches, and it measures blood pressure and blood glucose. And they're just as high as they were before, and that's why I'm asking you, what's going on here? How long do I have to wait with this ideal diet and feeling good to have those numbers go down? And the goal is to get them down. And I'm asking you, maybe I should give up the goal and forget about it. Did any of that make any sense? (laughs) Well, you know, as as, uh, I said way earlier in the show, there is one single-edged sword and that's forgiveness. Yeah. So what what keeps your mind occupied in trauma around this issue? And have you canceled that goal? Obviously not, and I know about canceling goals. That's Sorry, Michael. I mean, I'm an experienced student, but I feel as if I went back right. to first over this. Well, and each time we hit a new level of vitality and a new depth of whatever it is we've been hiding for ourselves comes up, that's going to be the experience. That's exactly what happens. It's like I don't know anything. And we default, we go right back to our most basic power person message about ourselves. And usually that power person message is one of how you're broken. Hmm.
Well, that's... So have you done that worksheet yet? <laughs> no. I, I wouldn't even know how to begin. Uh, well, you begin by describing the conversation we've just had and then list your goal. What's my goal? I want to be vital till the day I die. Sounds like kind of a summation of what you shared with us. Okay. So yeah, what's forgiveness going to look like in that situation? Oh, well, there you go. But that's going to be that's the one that's going to take you to what's underneath this whole pressure that you keep you're keeping yourself under. Recognizing that blood pressure is just another form of pressure. I don't really understand what you mean by that. Blood pressure is just another form of pressure. Well, notice that, like right now, the goal you've just shared with us that you've confronted is, I want to be vital till the day I die. It's like what I heard you say is, I have no concern about dying. I've made, made peace with that. If I do, I do. And I want to be vital till the day I do. Yeah. So what I'm suggesting is that's your next forgiveness piece to cancel that goal and see what's underneath that. Would that mean And maybe there's a memory of watching someone you know aged in your family dying and suffering and not having vitality? Maybe that's what needs to be processed and maybe that's the under, just using that as an example of what you might uncover, that's the underlying energy that keeps this blood pressure thing happening. The underlying mind energy that Mm. needs to be cleared out. So, I don't have to say, oh, okay, it's all right if I'm a, I get really decrepit and hang around for years and years at the expense and exhaustion of my family. Ah, there you Isn't go. Lot- there it is. There it is. So there's your mind shifter. It's safe and healing for me to get old, decrepit, and hang around and cost my family millions. <laughs> that, would be your, that would be the perfect mind shifter that will show you what you know, I mean, this might be something 10 generations old that's still in your mind energy structure and driving physiology with this trauma, this dis-ease, as they call it. It struck me so funny the way you put that. Yeah, well, there you go. So that, that would be a perfect mind shifter to work with. Sit with that quietly and see what that surfaces. Remembering that the idea of a mind shifter is to ferret out, to resonate everything that's in the unconscious that needs to be cleaned up, that isn't based in love. Boy, that's a juicy one. Okay. Yeah. You know what I want to do is call my sisters, the two living sisters, call my brother, Ask them what their blood pressure is. Ask them what their cholesterol mm-hmm. is. That's another thing. And all, all this stuff, right. all of a sudden, all these numbers have become a big deal. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's healthy or not. Probably not. Maybe they Live his love know. first. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, I remember you talked about intermittent fasting ages ago on the radio show. Have you ever done yes. that? 
we usually don't eat like today uh, in order to, for, you know, Jeannie went to pick up Aria and she leaves here just a couple of minutes after noon. And so we're just finishing off our breakfast as she goes to do that. So we, that's what wow. we do. I usually get my first, I, I have a water bottle that I fill with hydrogen water and I do my first 50 ounces of water before I eat a bite of food. And that's usually around, you know, 1130 or so. I was wow. actually, I, I, I prepared breakfast this morning. I was actually, or brunch, whatever we call it. I was actually a little bit late, and Jeannie only got to eat half of hers before she had to leave to pick up Arya. But that's what we do. And then we usually have dinner six. Sometimes it gets a little later than that, a little too late. But, yes, that's our modus operandi. Wow, that's amazing. And it's working, and you're in good health. Oh, yes. that's great. Yeah. yeah, we've done that for... Well, we've gotten into the routine of that since we've stopped being on the road 40 weeks of the year, and, uh, right. and we're here in Bristol. So the last four or five years now, going on five years, it's actually pretty nice to live somewhere and put my head down in the same bed every night instead of a different oh, that must uh, be. bed every week. It's, uh, it's, it's actually pretty sweet. Oh, I don't know how you did it. That's really... And... Yeah. Well, well, and when we were doing it, uh, actually on, on our TV, we have a TV in our bedroom, and the screensaver is our whole cache of pictures. So as they roll by, you know, we're both doing something on our phones or what have you. We're just hanging out, and they're rolling by, and we'll stop. It's like, oh, yeah, now let me see. Well, let me see. where. Oh, that was Rome. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And Oh, no, there was Tibet. <laughs> So oh it was an God. awesome, wonderful, there was an awesome, wonderful, I mean, you know, I did that for 40 years and I loved it. And yeah. and I don't have a need to get up and go anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's like people go, oh, I want to do this travel. Yeah. It's like been there, and done that. Can, and, and I could and still, you know, enjoy a journey like that, but I have no need for it. <laughs> right. I'm just as happy to so hang right here and go out and work in the garden. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's on, it's on our, you know, we've got a big screen TV in our, our, our room, and yeah. the screensaver goes by with, you know, I don't know how many pictures are behind it, but there are thousands, and uh, there are wow. the last 20 years of traveling and the kids, and, wow, you know, we'll, we'll go back and, you know, I'll tap Jeannie on the shoulder, she'll tap me on the shoulder when one of those shots of Aria Rain comes up, and, you know, when she was five months and just her eyes beating yeah. out, you know, just, you know, communicating, and so that's, great. So that's, that's fun. So what if your mind could join every other mind on planet Earth Mm -hmm. and follow the directive here and live the directive that Yeshua gave that said, take no thought for the morrow? Nice. What if you were absolutely incapable of concern for what goes on beyond this instant? that you had so much trust in your own true being and in your relationship with the Creator and with the world that you know that in the same way as Yeshua said, look at the lilies of the field. You know, David in all his raiment was never outfitted like one of those. What if he had that level of trust? 
and tomorrow and the next day and the next and the next. Rather than, you know, and, and we go first full circle where Jeannie started reading from uh, Michael Singer's book about this problem-making device that's always got another problem for us to solve. Another. Oh, yeah, I was thinking about that. Here I was no rest. Here, along. <laughs> yeah, got to have another one. Right. That's true. And, you that's know, it, actually, it, it, I, I, I've never looked at it. I'll have to see if I can find it in the Aramaic, but the word wicked has to relate to the word sin. You know, Aramaic sin being an archery term. Right. Off the mark. And wicked would tie right into that. So that's saying no rest for the wicked, for those who are locked into generational patterns and can't let go to trust. That one energy that's off the mark after another, after another, after another, and a structure in the mind that says yes. And if you don't have any problems right now, just wait till the other shoe drops. You better be afraid because it's coming. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, it would probably, it would certainly make no difference if I paid no more attention to those numbers ever again and just went about my life doing the right things. I'm doing the right things. Fooey on this, I guess. Well, doing the right things, it it doesn't mean you don't have to give any attention to it. I mean, you know, if something's out of whack, we, we have some wonderful devices in the world can help us stay on track and spot things that we otherwise might not spot. But if they become a detractor from our peace, then what value are they? So put it in perspective. Yeah, yeah I, mm-hmm. I get my blood checked. You know, that's something I do. And I, you know, if there's something off I'm going to look at, what do I need to do to get back on track here? But yeah. if I go into, you know, a state of, pressure building inside myself because now I have to. I don't trust the future. Yeah. So what if we joined in having total, complete trust that the Creator was telling the truth when the Creator said, I have only your good in my mind. I have only good Mm. things planned for you. Mm. I'm willing to trust that. Mm. And there's a saying in the Middle East that says, trust in Allah and tie your camel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pay attention to things yeah. within reason, but yeah. don't get yourself into your, you know, Body parts and a ringer over it. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. That was pretty much my. Uh, I had prepared a tirade, but it didn't come out that way. It was just a very manageable discussion. Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, let's hear the tirade. No, I think I said it when I I said. I don't want to get old and be decrepit and a burden on my family. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, I, I heard that. you. Yeah. So that's your mind shifter. Good one. Let, I'm let whatever that brings up and and yeah. whatever comes up, let it just be. Let it yield to trust. 
Oh, you know what, Michael? Oh, man. I'm turning 79, and that was the year my aunt, my father's sister, took her own life with a, the hemlock uh, mm-hmm. potion because she wasn't She had the well. same concern you just voiced. Yeah, and she didn't want to... But it was her life was much different than mine. She's been a yep. lifelong smoker and drinker. She had emphysema, mm. bad osteoporosis, terrible pain, enduring. I mean, you could see why she did. Byron Katie said, if someone takes their life, look upon it as an act of love toward themselves, that they did that for themselves to take themselves out of pain. Well, that's a hard order, but I understand what she's saying. And that's what my right. aunt was doing. She was doing that. And she was incredibly brave. And I think about how lonely that must have been. What a story Yeah, that, that would have is. been pretty tough, you know. And called my... Go ahead. notice from the state that she was in that things had become so difficult for her. Imagine what kind of thought disorder she put into the genetics of the family. Oh, no. And now... And now you have the opportunity to face those thought disorders and remove them. I mean, in just one generation, remove them from the family rather than just let them sit there and fester until, you know, 10 generations from now it's impacted the lives of tens of thousands of people, your descendants. This, is, this to me, is uh, Jonas Salk saying the most important thing to be is a good ancestor. Yeah. That you get to clean that stuff Wonderful. up that she that she maybe originated or maybe simply repeated unconsciously in the yeah. family system, and that those were the things that drove her to drink and smoke and get her body into the condition she was in, and so to be you know do that mind shifter in her name, maybe even do a wow. worship for her. But do that mind shifter in her name to open all of that in the family system and let that stuff just literally be lifted off of the genetics. It's it's part of that genetic overlay. And just let it go. Wow. Maybe some descendants in line won't be driven to drink anymore as you resolve that. Yeah. she was driven to drink. Yeah, my dad and my aunt, the two of them, two children, both alcoholics, and both really sickened themselves with it. My dad got heart disease and died oh. fairly young, 73, I think he was, which isn't terribly young, but it's, you know. It's pretty he young. Had, he had so much vitality. He was he died on the golf course having hit a really ace hole in one or something. He was bragging about it. What a way to go. He was so excited. He couldn't handle the excitement. Bless his heart. <laughs> he died. <laughs> oh, geez. I finally got a hole in one, and I don't even get to celebrate it. Oh, that would be a bummer. <laughs> Bless his heart. Oh, dear. He was, it was a very cute man, yeah. And he he wasn't the kind of alcoholic that it imposed itself on anyone, but it was secret 
whenever he had the chance. He had bottles mm. everywhere when he died. My mom found all his secret places. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Well, there was an underlying pain that he didn't feel safe enough to share. So no, maybe in the work you're doing and opening up the, you know, the willingness I've seen you over the last three or four years has been just monumental to process it one piece at a time. And this one is a big one. Yeah, the idea of doing it for my aunt, it's almost that anniversary, and I'd love to talk to a cousin, her daughter, about that because her daughter was has never really been able to, you know, know what to do with that. Deal with it. it. Well, yeah. maybe this is your invitation. Maybe. Oh, boy. Well, thank you. That's I knew if I called you up, even though I didn't know how to put anything, it got put. <laughs> well, and and I appreciate how gracefully and how you're able to do it with humor. Things that are, are I mean, that's big stuff when you talk about watching an ant get that uh, that up against the wall that she chooses that mm. way to end her life. It's like, yeah. So I support you opening your genetics to the point where if someone in your family chooses to go, you know, we had the experience. It's For me, it's it's become such a model with Jeannie's dad. You know, a mm. man who hadn't sat up in well over a year, sat bolt upright, his eyes popped out, and he just embraced and was embraced in whatever he was looking at and took his last breath and sweetly sacred space just left. It was like, let's create that sort of a system, that sort of a space for all of our families that if someone chooses to go, they could do that rather than have to be driven by disease and suffering and pain and trauma. Yeah. That it's okay to just say, I'm leaving, bye. Oh, okay, see you on the journey. That's so great, and it was wonderful how much, how patient you were and how you supported him, and even though he was physically so frail and then getting forgetful, and but you never, I never heard a word about impatience or anything, but just allowing him to do it the way it was going to happen for him. And there's a lot of push against that in my family. To, you yeah. know, when you're up and you're no longer useful, you've got to check out. I mean, you don't want to be a burden to anybody. Good grief. Mm. That's a big deal. So, so the last four years of Jamie's dad's life, you know, the point at which we chose to stop traveling, come here and live mm. with him, were a major blessing for us. Fortunately, he is one of the few men that I know of that really rarely, rarely expressed any form of hostility toward anything or anybody. 
Wow. So we were blessed in that we had four years with him, but never a cross moment, never an argument, never a disturbance, never an upset. Sometimes, you know, some fuss about, oh, how are we going to get this done? Or, oh, you know, what's happening? Yeah. But so we were blessed in that regard because he held that space. He was that space. And you'd been on the road and then you were doing Heartland and then the pandemic hit and you sort of needed a place like that. Holy mackerel. It all fell in place. And then, and then, of course, we were able to have Arya here with him, the first granddaughter or grandchild or great-grandchild that he actually was able to um, have time with, that he really spent a lot of time because she was here wow. two or three days a week. And so, you know, it was just the whole the four-year period was just a blessing for both of us. So, that reminds me of that. Is it going to cut us off? Okay. What would you say, the show's going to cut us off, but go ahead until it oh. tells us we're finished. Um, all things work for good for those who love God. Yeah. Stay connected to love, and it impacts everything. Mm-hmm. Thanks so Without much any conscious effort or thought by us. Mm. It's, it's how the system's designed to work. Now, if we put some kind of conscious effort and thought in, and it's based in thought disorders, then we can do all kinds of drama and trauma and crazy stuff, too. I'm Everybody's sure. got a choice. Yeah. It's sure worth deleting that stuff, though. Thanks. Thank you. All right, young lady, joining you in that trust. Thanks. Thank you. And opening the space for healing with your aunt thanks appreciate it all right have a blessed one thanks for joining us everyone